0: I'm going to be reading from Acts 9, starting in verse 1 through 20. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, Said so if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God.
1: So if New Year's resolutions were a thing in uh, AD 49, I think Paul's may sound something like this. I resolve to know Christ better this year than ever before. We just listened to Paul's conversion testimony, uh, kind of an extended passage, but it just shows you what kind of man he was and what it took to turn him to become a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to read some more words of of Paul here. This is post-finding Jesus Paul. I want to read it carefully. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So I do believe that Paul's New Year's resolution would be that he resolves to know Christ better than ever before. And I'm going to make the argument that that needs to be every believer's resol- resolution. Now, um, you may be like this guy. Um, and uh, maybe you, some of you guys saw this. But uh, we, are, we are wary of New Year's resolutions, aren't we? Um, and for, for good reason. I'm going to start that Bible thing. We're going to read all the way through it, right? Um, You know, and all New Year's resolutions are tested. um, But the spiritual ones, they have that added bonus of guilt when you drop them. But um, still, I'm going to insist that every believer should be thinking this year, I resolve to know Christ better than ever before. Now, when I read something like Paul's desire to know Christ better, I, I am going to assent to it. I'm going to say, that sounds like an absolutely great idea. And I, and I think you probably would as well. I think you would say, yeah, that, that sounds right, but can you make it a little bit more concrete? Well, I'll try. I'd like to focus just on two things this morning. First of all, how Paul came to that resolution that he wanted to know Christ better this year than ever before, if we could put it that way and how you and I can do that as well in 2023. So let's look at how Paul would come to a resolution like that. Paul got there by some accounting, which compared his pre-Christ life and his after Christ life. He counted his spiritual gains that he had before Christ, things that he would say like, these are spiritual advantages that I would have, and then he renounced them. Now, I suspect suspect there's probably two different types of people here today. There are types of people here where if I said a word like fungible, you'd say like, ah, now you're speaking my language. And then there's a type of person who says, I don't know what you're talking about, and if you keep talking like that, I'm leaving. Um, Yeah, we're talking about accounting here, the wonderful world of accounting. Assets and liabilities and debits and credits. And some of you are saying more and more and others are going like, stop it, seriously. Okay, accounting language. But Paul in this passage here uses lots of accounting language. Now I'm going to put the verses up here again. And uh, there's going to be some things highlighted and I just want you to see. Paul is going to grab a couple of concepts here and it's almost like he's having fun. It's almost like after he announces initially about gain and loss, he just takes these concepts and starts shuffling them like a deck of cards. Okay, here we go. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count, there's that word again, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, it's a gain word, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so you see the words there: gain and loss, counting in Christ. In painting this this new self-portrait, you could call it. This is this is this is Paul saying: this is now who I am. Paul talks in accounting terms. So Paul arrives at this resolution to know Jesus Christ better than ever before by spiritual accounting. So how does he do that? Well, he starts by counting his pre-Christ spiritual advantages. Three times he says, I counted these things. And uh, I counted things that could be considered gain in my life. And if we could put it this way, I'm going to put the three different ways that he says this. And I just kind of want us to to look at him for a second. So Paul here is taking a spiritual inventory of ways that he might have confidence in his flesh. In other words, ways that he would say, like, these are spiritual advantages I have. Now, you're going to see the way these verbs work, and it's kind of important. He started out with that he had spiritual gain in verse 7. This is in the past, and we're going to see what that is in just a second. And then he repeats himself and says he still continues. So he shifts from the past. So I look behind and I say, this is what I had gained. And then he says, but I still continue to count it. Um, And he says, not just what I had, but everything. And then he goes on and he repeats it one more time and says, and I count it, I keep counting it as rubbish. Now, what exactly did he have? Um, Prior to his conversion, Paul was really, really spiritually wealthy, you could say. He had lots of reasons to think that he had his act together. He had lots of reasons to have confidence in who he was. He says this, If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now I'm gonna put a little portrait of Paul chart up here. Paul's heritage was a noble one. He was obedient to the covenant sign that was given to Israel. He was born an Israelite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was a small but highly respected tribe because the first king, Saul, came from there. Jerusalem lies within his boundaries. And above all, they never abandoned King David. So this is a small but mighty tribe. He was called a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means that his lineage was undiluted, which was very, very important in that culture. His parents saw that he had the absolute best education. So Paul's heritage was a noble one. His accomplishments were equally noble. They were very impressive. He was a Pharisee. Now, we tend to use that word kind of like, if you're called a Pharisee, that's not a good thing. However, in that time, it was very, very respected. These were the defenders of orthodoxy. They made sure that the Jewish people did not lose their identity. And so this was uh, someone who was held in very high esteem. He even distinguished himself among them. He demonstrated this by his zeal in attacking the church. And he was a lawkeeper, he was blameless. These are the things that Paul says everything that I had, this was my resume, he said, those things. I count as loss. His accounting continues. He says, indeed, I still continue to count everything as loss. So everything definitely includes what he had, but also includes everything that he had done since coming to Christ. And so he kind of expands it a little bit. He knows that even his service and his accomplishments to Christ, which were great, could be hijacked by the flesh to give him reasons to be confident in himself. He says, so those two, I count as loss. He then intensifies it by saying, and I still continue to count them as rubbish. Now, that's a strong word, and some even think that it refers to like dung. Uh, It kind of maybe has the idea of of table scraps. Something that was good in its time, maybe rich and enjoyable, but now, now it's over. It's time to be done with it. And I think that's probably a better way to think of it because uh, Paul's heritage and his accomplishments were admirable. Um, Paul speaks elsewhere of the privilege that the Jewish people had of being the oracles of God. In other words, he preserved his word for them. He brought the plan of salvation through them, and that is something that is much in every way to be admired. But Paul says, even that even that heritage which was supposed to point to christ at what point it becomes something that i glory in and i say hey i am worthy at that point it is table scraps in other words in order to come like for something that brings us to god it's it's absolutely useless it's past its time now i know we're talking about how paul maybe came to this resolution but i I think it's kind of worth it for us to pause here for just a second and, and make sure that we have very, very clear in our own minds what kind of things we, we may count as giving us confidence in the flesh. It could be that we come from a great spiritual heritage. And if so, we thank God for it. It could be our accomplishments where before we came to Christ, we, we had like lots of stuff on our resume. It could be our social standing. Things that we, we tend to say like, I think I was a pretty good candidate for salvation. Now, it's pretty unlikely that we would actually verbalize that. These are kind of things that run underneath the surface. Uh, we're pretty well attuned to, to stay away from self-righteous phrases. You know, like the, the Pharisee that said, I thank God that I am not like other men, like even this tax collector. Well, when we hear that, we go like, ooh, that's that's really that's really, really ugly. But there's still still things that run behind in our minds. You know, what makes it so difficult sometimes to determine what kinds of things we are stockpiling as spiritual advantages that we may bring to the table is that they're not wicked things. They're good things. Uh, For example, a religious heritage. Coming from a good religious heritage does not condemn you to have confidence in the flesh, but it could definitely lend itself to that. Now, Now, why is that? Well, because I believe children are somewhat provincial, right? They they tend to think that whatever they grew up with is the thing. And so if you grew up with a spiritual heritage, you're probably going to assume that, like, we've got a corner on this market. And uh, we may conclude that our brand of Christianity has a corner on the truth, or we may even come to think, like, I was a pretty natural choice for salvation. Well, most of us are wired that way. It could be that... We had a Christian education or a private education or a classical education, which we 're very, very grateful for that it made us rigorous thinkers. But then, when we come to Christ, we think like, well you know you 're pretty lucky to have me because i 'm a rigorous thinker. Our social and financial standing could be hijacked in the flesh to make sure to make us feel like we are of unequal value in the church talents that we had before we came to Christ that got us far. When we come to Christ, we say like, oh, well, that's my spiritual gift and isn't the church fortunate to have me? Now, these pre-Christ advantages, you know, mind you that we're talking about that they are useless in recommending me to God in making us good candidates for salvation. This is not to say that God does not use them. God does not take who you are and then obliterate it. Everything that you are before you came to Christ, God will use. Every bit of Paul's education was used. Um, You could say his, uh, to quote a certain musical, his top-notch brain were used in service to Christ. You know, even his heritage as a Pharisee gave him entrance to places. Even his Roman citizenship was a blessing. As a Jew going to the Gentiles, he was able to translate things in a way that no one else could. But to think that those are spiritual assets that God made me a natural choice to God, for that, it is absolutely useless. Paul's spiritual accounting included counting his pre-Christ advantages. And so he kind of tabulated them. He put them on the ledger. And uh, we should take time to do that as well. What is it that you have that you are trusted to trust in instead of Christ? Now, once they're all on that ledger book, and you've got like kind of a tally of them, what do you do? Well, I can tell you what Paul did. He renounced them because of Christ. So he counts them, and then he renounces them. In a similar way that he said that he counted his spiritual advantages three times, he talks about Christ three times, and each time he says it, he builds on it a little bit more. Verse 7, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is just kind of a seed statement here. He's just saying, I made an exchange. I did it because of Christ. You know, if you lay this out, this verse here, uh, kind of in a really, really literal way, you kind of see what Paul's doing here. It's almost like he's building a balance sheet. So there's this reality that he had, um, things that were to him. There was an opinion he had. He said, These things were to me. In other words, this is the way I viewed it. And then he said, they were to me gains. I have exceptional spiritual worth. That was his previous estimation. Then he turns it around and he says, These things, the very things that I thought, I thought were spiritual advantages, uh, these things I consider because of Christ. Loss. So you kind of see, it's almost like the ancient account, accounting would take a T-chart and say, here's everything I own and here's everything I owe. And, and so that's how you kind of balance things. But Paul said, I took everything that I own and I balled it up into one big loss, one big liability, and I switched it to the other column. And then in the thing that I had gained, I put one word, Jesus Christ. So his only asset now is Christ so there's a simple statement in verse 7 and then in verse 8 he repeats himself and he says he counts everything loss and then he talks about Jesus a little bit more he says that the knowledge of Jesus is of surpassing worth in other words it excels whatever you had before you know Paul was motivated by the surpassing Paul was motivated by competition he was a zealous guy His testimony before Christ was this, that he surpassed all his peers in Pharisaic zeal. You can see the word there that advancing, same word there, surpassing. He says, I was surpassing them all. He was motivated by excellence. And so for Paul to trade this excellence, this career that he had, it had to be something equally excellent and equally surpassing. And in Jesus Christ, he found that. Paul traded his advancing in Judaism for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He repeats himself again in verse 8, but he adds another idea. He says this, that there is an exchange. In other words, in order to gain Christ, you have to lose something. He says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And so the truth is here, you cannot have Christ until you have traded all the other spiritual advantages that you think you may have. So to summarize, all your pre-Christ advantages are reassigned because of Christ, the one who exceeds them all, and you have to lose them in order to gain him. Where did Paul learn this? Well, I think he learned it from Jesus. Matthew 16, Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Paul does not about-face. He takes a different view. He forms a different opinion. He says, it may look like I was winning, but the very things I was counting on to make me win this race were actually forfeiting it. I was forfeiting my own soul. He became a man like Jesus Christ spoke about in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so the person in this short parable finds a treasure and considers it worth more than all his other possessions. Paul was like that man. The treasure was Christ. So we're talking about what should be every Christian's resolution. I resolve to know Christ better this year than ever before. Paul would have made that resolution because he had said, I I took all my spiritual advantages and I switched them for something much, much greater. So you can say, like, yeah, all right, I see that Paul thought that this was a really, really good thing. Um, I'm convinced of that. And you may say, like, I mentally assent to it. I I would say, yes, knowing Christ is very, very important this year, but what about if my affections don't follow? What if I, I don't know how to do that better? Is there any way that we can resolve to do that as well this year? Well, I'm just gonna point out two different things. First, I want us to not lose the wonder of our conversion. And second, I want us to strive to know Christ in his word. So the first thing that you and I can do is be converted or go back to our conversion and never lose the wonder of it. I'm not trying to be trite. Conversion is a miracle. If you have no desire to know Jesus better this year, then you may have to ask yourself the question, did I ever make that great swap? Did I ever discover that treasure that made me sell everything and bank my entire spiritual well-being on him? All that gain and loss language is just a way of describing Paul's conversion said whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ that is a summary statement of how somebody comes to find Jesus to be their treasure now that's not the only language that we use uh, or find in scripture to be sure like today we may say a phrase like we were saved or we accepted Jesus or we have a personal relationship with him but another way of saying is, is that I counted everything as loss for the sake of Christ Paul's biography that we read was just a powerful illustration of conversion. So a couple of observations about conversion that I just hope will help us return to the wonder of what conversion is. Conversion is a disruption. So here we have Paul furiously working to destroy the very church that um, that Jesus Christ founded. And he is doing it. And by the end of that short 20 verses there... Uh, he's preaching in a synagogue that that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, That right there is a disruption. And so no matter whether or not your story is that God rescued you from a life of sin and misery or whether he, as a very young child, rescued you from spiritual pride, it is still a disruption. Don't lose the wonder of that. Conversion is not just a disruption, it's a revelation. Paul was talking about his ministry in Galatians, and he wrote this, for I did not receive it, the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, whether that revelation was when he was blind and waiting or whether it was at some other time, um, there's a couple places you could point to. But Paul understood that he was on a path that God disrupted and arrested him on that path and then he opened up his eyes. He showed him something that was absolutely hidden from him. And there's a beautiful illustration of it in that conversion testimony where he is like physically struck blind to show exactly how spiritually blind he was. And then that graphic phrase, something like scales fell from his eyes and he saw. Nothing else could explain Paul's conversion than the fact that it was a revelation. You know, it struck me that if Paul had encountered Jesus and maybe heard about the teaching of Jesus, he would have thought that he was backwoods. He would have thought that he was threatening. He would have thought that Jesus was even a sinner, as many of the other Pharisees did. You know, it's important to realize that from the outset, that any relationship with Jesus, knowing Christ, is God's work. It is a disruption, it is a revelation. And I think that's encouraging to us because it's not something that can be gained by deep spiritual reflection or deep theological thoughts. We don't have to have Paul's pedigree to come to Jesus. It can happen to the most unlearned person. A child can come to Jesus. A child can see. Or somebody who is the most learned person in the world can all of a sudden have the scales fall from their eyes and see. There's no seminary degree required. You know, a great place for anyone here today. Me, you, anyone. Somebody who knows Jesus, somebody who says, I don't have that relationship yet, would be for this year for you to start out knowing Christ better. For those who say, like, I've walked with him all my life, we can go back to our conversion and say, may I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. So I can't think of a better way for one to begin the new year than the new birth. You know, if you're here today and you're like, I, I feel like God's been disrupting my path. He has taken my life and he has shaken it up. And and as you're talking about a transaction where I like count everything that I was as loss, I think I'm beginning to see what that is like. Then I would just encourage you to respond. Respond. Tell God, respond to his truth. But the gospel is for all of us. And no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, your heart will be warmed as you revisit the miracle of conversion. So don't lose the wonder of it. Be converted. Second, seek Christ in his word. Now, this is not extremely hard, actually. You just have to want to see Christ in his work. Ponder his person and his work. I'd like to see uh, in verse 8 where it says, uh, he counts everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want you to note just those last four words, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Sometimes you'll see Jesus just called Jesus. Sometimes you'll call, he's called Jesus Christ. Sometimes Christ Jesus. And every once in a while, you get this full confessional name. Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I don't want you to miss a single word of that. This is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a historical figure, somebody who walked in Palestine. His words and his deeds are recorded for us in multiple ways. We should read them. This year, seeking Jesus means you read his words, you think about his deeds. Christ That refers to his role as Messiah and Savior. And the truth is, the whole of Scripture tells us that plan. All the way from Genesis 3.15, it says the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. And the entire Bible unfolds that. Become very, very good at finding that. Calls him Christ Jesus, my Lord. My Lord. This refers to his role as master in our life. And uh, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Continually acknowledging that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and submitting every thought and action to him really is the whole of the Christian life. And you can spend all your time learning to submit to him better. And really, uh, this is going to affect how we use our time. It's going to affect how we use our money. Um, It's going to show itself in time and effort. Now, this is not a plug for a Bible reading plan. I mean, this is New Year's Day, the time where we say this year is going to be the year that I read through Scripture. Um, it is a plug for you to see Christ in his word this year. And there is many ways you can do that. You can do that through a Bible reading plan. You can slow down and do it parked in a book. You can do it on an audiobook, You can listen. You can listen to music, you can do a Bible study, a devotional, you can talk to brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, There are are umpteen ways that we can do this, but I just want to just remind you that your heart needs to be, I want to know Jesus better in his word this year. Now, knowing Christ Jesus even better this year, it can be done through his word, but there's another aspect of this that I, I think needs to be highlighted and that is knowing him through his suffering, entering his sufferings. Paul says in verse 8, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I can't help notice that that verb is passive. I have suffered. It sounds like it was done to him. At whose hand did Paul suffer? Well, we could say that Paul suffered at the hands of those who didn't like his new spiritual accounting scheme. Okay? They look at it and they say, "Like you are going to lose social standing, you're going to lose privilege. You may even think about his parents, where his parents grieved at the fact that he took his education and became a follower of Christ. Uh, there are people who may have said, Paul, you squandered everything. And he felt that deeply. He suffered loss at their hand. He may have suffered loss at the hand of the world. In, in 1 Corinthians 4, he wrote that he became like scum, like refuse. It kind of reminds you of counting all things as garbage, doesn't it? You know, the, the world, which we could say is the system that erases itself against God, uh, will actually help us out here. It will actually push us towards sanctification because they, as we say, Jesus is the greatest value. They're going to remind us that our values are not their values and we actually become an outcast and that's a really gracious reminder that we need to find our worth somewhere else we can also suffer at the hand of god as he invites us to share in jesus's sufferings paul writes in verses 10 and 11 right after the passage today that i may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This concept, you'll find it all through Paul's writings, that we actually enter into Jesus' death, and then we come out in his resurrection. is all throughout Paul's writings. There's an author, uh, his name is Paul Miller, who um, he coined a term called the J-curve. So he took the J of Jesus. and, And his point was this that the normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying of Jesus and then the rising of Jesus. It's kind of a repeated cycle that we go through um, in everyday life. And uh, this is all part of working and joining the suffering of Jesus. And so if we're going to know him better this year, don't just read about him, but enter willingly into his sufferings. Now, what does that look like? Here's what it might look like. There are a couple different ways. When you die to yourself by sacrificing yourself in love for someone. You know, when you love someone and you actually do something for them, where everything in you is saying, this is hard, this is hard, that's actually a dying. Um, When you sacrifice yourself for a child, when you take in a foster child, when you care for an aging parent, when you come alongside a suffering believer if you come alongside in exile as you have opportunity. These things are hard. But then you rise again as your faith and your joy increase. There is a certain type of communion you can have beside the bed of a sick child where you are sacrificing yourself. The joy may come then, it may come later. There's certain joy that comes only in eternity. But that is the dying with Jesus and then rising to Him with him. There's a type of dying where you die to yourself by receiving with humility the trials that God brings into your life. Um, Things that you say like, I don't understand this. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you brought this into my life. But when you say, I am going to submit to that. No, indeed, I am going to receive that. Something happens. You receive peace you will feel his presence. You'll receive strength and comfort and fellowship with other suffering believers and even ministry. That is a type of dying. Sometimes you die to self in repentance where there is a particular piece of your old man, a particular piece of your flesh that you have to work really, really hard to kill. And everything is saying, no, I want this. And when you do it, All of a sudden, you realize you feel God's strength. You feel his presence with you as you die to yourself and you rise again in obedience and the blessing of victory. These are ways that we can enter Jesus' suffering. And so, returning to our conversion, being converted, going back to our conversion, reliving your conversion, realizing the wonder of it, knowing Jesus in his words, seeking him, see who he is, ponder his words, know him, and then entering his sufferings. So today I hope that you will begin to, like Paul, count. Count the cost. Tabulate your pre-spiritual advantages and then say, I renounce them. Tomorrow, I hope you will wake up and that you will say, it is good to be a child of God, to realize that it was a work of God. I hope tomorrow you will see Christ in his word, that you will hungrily go to it, seeing what he has for you. Tomorrow, I hope you will see with new eyes your suffering, that you will enter into it and say, I, ex- I accept this from the hand of God. This is how I'm co- going to know Christ better this year, to realize that it is a privilege of suffering All things lost for his sake. And then, don't stop. Don't stop. Every single day, Paul says, I had to keep counting. I had to keep, I still continue to count it as rubbish. You're going to have to do this every day. That's what it means to know Christ. And so, resolve to know Christ better this year than ever before. Let's pray. Gracious God, we... Thank you uh, that you pierced through our blindness. Thank you that you caused scales to fall from our eyes. That when we encountered Christ and we saw in him a treasure that was of surpassing worth, that we came to him. We saw all our goodness for what it was, useless, and then we came to him. I pray that you would bring us to that time again and again, so that we will be convinced. And praying that this year more than ever, knowing Christ is everything and that our efforts are nothing. We thank you for the spiritual blessings that you pour from this exchange, making us sons and daughters and bringing us to your home where we will see your glory and bring you unending praise and thanksgiving. I ask now that we would gladly enter the suffering of Christ so that we will have lives that are marked by dying to self and rising with him.